They may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom! (laughs) William Wallace, iconic line from Braveheart. I hope you know it. Sad if you don't. Um, Freedom is a big word for Americans. Our nation's culture is built on conceptions of freedom. Freedom from tyranny, freedom from taxation, freedom from oppression, uh, mainly if you're European-American, freedom of speech, freedom to bear arms, freedom of expression, freedom of choice, religious freedom, political freedom, fewer words are so pervasive and weighty in our American culture. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's the opening of the Declaration of Independence, of course, one of this country's founding documents. Liberty or freedom is an unalienable Right. Don't make it foreign. Don't take it away. Don't make it strange. It's a right given to people by God. What do, what do they mean by freedom? Probably this dictionary def- definition comes closest. The power or the right to act, speak, or think as one wants, without hindrance or without restraint. It's the right to do what one wants. Now this value for freedom is a beautiful thing. It's a refreshing alternative to being oppressed, right? Um, So many experience oppression in our world. And this value for freedom says no. No more of that. We should be free from that. I'm thankful to have the freedom in this country to follow Jesus, to choose my vocation, to lead my family with Julie the way that we see best. But there's a trouble spot in this conception of freedom. What happens when my personal freedom steps on somebody else? What happens when my personal freedom is at somebody else's expense? How do we navigate that? And I'm curious to hear from all of you. um, How is this trouble spot in freedom typically navigated in our broader society? When somebody's personal freedom steps on somebody else. And for those of you who are our guests today, um, we talk during the message. So uh, these, are, these are more than rhetorical questions. You wouldn't know that unless I told you. So there, there you go. Now you have no excuse. You can jump right in. I'd say most of the time, in theory, that's what the legal system is for when one person's freedom impinges on another person's freedom. Then you have a third party decide who's correct in that circumstance. Mm-hmm. So a court of law or something like that would, would step in and make the decision of who's, who was more right for their freedom. Right, right on. Yeah, you could, you could sue somebody or be sued if, if uh, freedoms crossed each other. Yeah, that's a great point. What else? Other thoughts that come to mind? John? Libertarians can't uh, come into complete agreement as to how to parse this. 
complete freedom, the libertarians would be more over there with free, 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 but then what about driver's licenses? What about, you know, registering guns? What about, what is my freedom and your freedom? Can can I put radioactive waste in my backyard if I want to? It's my backyard. So, I mean, it's, it's it's a beautiful idea. It's wonderful. I'm so glad I've come here and not in uh, North Korea. But yeah, it, it, it does. It does pretty much make for nice, neat uh, frames and boundaries and borders and fences. Yeah, it doesn't. So I'm hearing you say um, it's complicated, and different people have different ideas about how exactly to get at that. Yeah. Mm. You have to set other people's needs before your own sometimes. Mm. And then I think where it gets to be is you also have boundaries mm-hmm. and then to process. Yeah. Wise words. That's good. Yeah, the 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 tension between um uh deferring, uh submitting, giving up and having boundaries and Saying no, saying that's that's not right, that can't stand, that shouldn't happen. Um, well, that's uh, that basically preached my sermon. So that's all I got this morning. Thank you guys. That's why we do that discussion. Uh, yeah, Beth, that's a great comment. Anybody else? Yes, sir. Freedom in free. Freedom in free. Tell me more. <laughs> You're going to pay for it. Okay. Um, in, in what way? If it were free, there would be no licenses. You wouldn't have to license doctors, you wouldn't license barbers, you wouldn't license taxi cabs, you wouldn't license any of them, right? If it's all free, then you wouldn't like it. Yeah. So there is a cost. Um, it's not it's not wholesale freedom. There are some there's some cost entailed. It gets into the complicated part that John was talking about. It's not all what it seems on the surface of things. And we do have this rhetoric in our broader culture about freedom, but, but even built into our legal system, built into licensing, um, it's very, very, very much more complex and complicated than that. Yeah, that's a great point. Sherelle? I feel like empathy is a big part of that conversation in terms of impinging on someone else who might have the right if you can't empathize with that person, you're more likely to impinge on someone else. We had a discussion at work last week. There were some people working out in, um, across the street and whistled and catcalling at women. And so we were just talking about, oh, can't we even walk outside of our work without? And there's a, they have a right to do that, but it's, it impacted us in a different way. And one of the other gentlemen was like, well, they're not hurting anything. And then my coworker was like, but if it was your daughter standing here saying, how would, what we're saying, what would you? And then it was like, oh, an empathy light went on. Mm. I get it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, if empathy helps navigate the dynamic that Beth was talking about, like knowing when to defer, knowing, knowing when to boundary, uh, putting ourselves in somebody else's shoes. 
um, helps us to see it. All this is really good. Nope, John, you only get one comment. You raise your hand. I'm just kidding. What do you got? Greetings of three reminded me of World War II. I mean, I'm forever grateful that the uh, Allies want to send gas. So it is free that you're able to stand there and say, Jesus is Lord, and we can read the Bible without any. What, I mean, we can do it in English instead of German. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of violence and bloodshed that creates this environment of freedom that we live in. Yeah. Yeah. Also, a lot of money that can affect freedom. You know, if you have money, you're more likely to enjoy freedom. To be freer. Yeah. There's some privilege that comes with affluence. Yeah, and power. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so we're in the midst of a uh, mess. Oh, Coy, what's up? Sorry, I just wanted to. Um, equality and freedom is hard to find on earth because there's so much, um, so many different people, classes, races. Um, for us to say that statement, everyone is created equal through freedom, is definitely hard to find on earth. Right. But I think it's something that will very much be celebrated when we leave this world. Mm. Um, so that's um, and that gets sticky too. That could be a conversation that could carry on for hours. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a hope that we have of the afterlife mm-hmm. and the the kingdom of God coming full. That there is freedom because the truth is, even upon the writing of that Declaration of Independence, to the extent that Native Americans were losing their lands and losing their freedom, mm-hmm. to the extent that people of color were being enslaved, these words were not true for everybody. And I think as Christians, it's our job to, to get us there to that equality. Yeah. As close as we can. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, a Christian vision kind of gets us more deeply at freedom. Yeah, that's some of what I want to uh, talk about this morning. Uh, we're in a, a message series called Back to Life out of the book of 1 Corinthians. And we're about halfway there. Uh, the last time Paul talked with us, um, not the Apostle the McMullen, the other one, talked with us about the Apostle Paul's uh, chapter 8. Um, and now we're moving forward. Our reading um, this morning was from chapter 9. So the Apostle Paul starts a church a long time ago in Corinth, Greece. And there are some new Christians that are in this church, that, he, that have come to Christ through his ministry, that are having their own trouble with freedom. So we talked about chapter 8 of Paul's letter, and if you want to turn in your phones, if you've got uh, your Bibles with you, we'll, we'll be primarily in chapter 9. Uh, but chapter 8 talks about um, Paul's letter uh, where he discusses the trouble that they're having with eating food that was sacrificed to idols. Some Christians in the church who were fresh out of paganism and the veneration of Roman gods thought it was wrong and idolatrous to eat food that was sacrificed to idols. 
um, when they attended those uh, social gatherings at the temple. You remember Paul's mock birthday party invitation about come to the temple of Diana or Apollos. That was a common thing in the Greco-Roman world. And, and these new Christians were devastated to hear that others in their congregation were returning to go to those parties, to engage in those rituals to the Roman gods. Uh, the other Christians in the church were saying, hey, there's only one God. These other gods aren't real anyway, so how can it be a big deal to eat food that's sacrificed to them when we go to social functions at the temple? We're not worshiping these other gods. We have the freedom to eat that food. It's our right as Christians. We're liberated from all of that religious stuff. So this freedom causes some tension between these groups of people. How do they navigate it? This is where our reading from 1 Corinthians 9 comes in. Paul says, hold on a minute. You do have freedom and rights, but there is a greater principle to consider. And so he launches into this case study to demonstrate this greater principle. And it's a, it's a case study out of his own life, that of his personal financial support. Um, it's as if he wants to say, now I'm, I'm not going to call you to this greater principle in your freedom and rights unless I'm able to show you that I'm willing to do it myself. I've never asked you to do something that I'm not willing to do myself. So this thing about him being financially supported is apparently uh, a matter of contention between him and the Corinthian church. And so he's killing two birds with one stone. On one hand... He's using it as a way to, de- to, to uh, interact with them about this temple food thing. On the other hand, he is defending himself and his practices for financial support. Now, to talk about the context of Corinth, um, there were a lot of moral philosophers. That was a pretty common role in Greco-Roman days. Some of them were itinerant. And they moved from town to town. Others of them were stationary and they stayed at the same place for a longer time. And there was a debate about what is the best way for these moral philosophers to receive financial compensation. And there were four main positions. And each of them had advocates and critics. The first position was fee for service. Uh, You want to hear me philosophize? You want to come under my tutelage? then it's going to cost you. Um, You pay a fee for the service that's being provided. The second position would say, no, uh, a philosopher needs to find a family, a wealthy family that can support him and let him stay with them. This was the patronage model. So you find a patron like an artist would that underwrites you, right? The third position thought, well, no, they should just like they should be beggars. They should beg on the streets and they should ask people as they teach, like do you like what I'm hearing? Then give me um, give me some money for it. Um, uh, today we might call it fundraising, you know. Maybe, right? The fourth option was for the philosopher to get a job get a side hustle, and work with his or her hands. I'm assuming most philosophers, because of the culture, were male. And so they would, have to get, they would get jobs to support themselves. And we get the sense from other places in this letter, like chapter 4, that there are some wealthy folks 
in the Corinthian church. Uh, and so for a teacher to claim to lead other people, but also working with their hands, this wouldn't be very becoming. If you're, if you're viewing this from a wealthy person's point of view, it was a, it was a menial thing to have to work for yourself. And so imagine these wealthy folks in the Corinthian church say, seeing Paul, who does work with his hands, and thinking, you know, that's not privilege. That is not, that's not powerful. That's not prestigious. That's not up to our standards. Paul, you shouldn't be lowering yourself um, in that way. That's beneath you. Um, that, that's not as, as, uh, um, as respectable as charging fees or having a patron family. And so to draw these folks in, Paul asks a series of questions that they would agree with him about uh, in, the, in the very early verses of chapter 9. Don't we have the right to food and drink? Of course you do. Uh, don't we have the right to a family like Peter does? Well, of course you do. Don't we have the right not to work because we preach the gospel? Of course you do. Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Nobody does. Who plants a vineyard and doesn't eat the grapes? Nobody does. Who tends a flock and doesn't drink the milk? Nobody does. Even Deuteronomy, our Bible, says that an ox should be able to eat some of the grain that it's treading on. In the same way, missionaries should be able to receive financial support from those they bring to Christ. Shouldn't you, Corinth, support us financially because of the work that we've done among you? And the Corinthians would say, of course we should. They probably didn't need to be convinced about this. If anything, they were frustrated that they weren't able to do that with Paul. And may I just stop at this point and say, as a missionary myself and as a servant of the gospel, I consider it a gift that this church supports me and Julie and our family financially um, to meet some of our needs so that we can devote ourselves more fully to the gospel in this city. Uh, that's a gift to me. And uh, thank you for that. Julie and I are deeply grateful for that. I feel like I can't talk about a passage where this kind of stuff is going on without acknowledging um, the generosity that's in this community for these very purposes. So, on we go. Um, what Paul says next, though, so he's leading up rhetorically. Like, uh, shouldn't we be supported? Yes, of course you should. What he says next is completely unexpected. The Corinthians would have expected him at this point to say, will you help me financially? But he doesn't. Instead, he makes a case for why he works with his hands and makes tents. Something they found to be very unbecoming and unseemly for a gospel preacher to do. Verse 12, we didn't use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. There it is. So we're circling back to this language of freedom and rights. He had the freedom to receive financial support. He had the right but he didn't do it because his context, in his context, he sensed that it would hinder 
the work of the gospel. In the same way, Paul agreed that the Corinthians had the freedom not to eat, or they had the freedom to eat food sacrificed at the temple because there was only one true God. They, uh, but they should give up that right, he says in chapter 8, because it was better for their brothers and sisters in Christ, many of whom were losing their faith because they were watching the other folks in the church go to temple and, um, and it was destroying them. So he said, you, you need to pull back on that right. In the same way, I've pulled back on the right of receiving financial support. This is the point at which Christian freedom and American freedom kind of get crossways with each other. Um, American freedom, uh, at, at its very base and, and at, at its crassest, is about getting to do what we want. Christian freedom is about doing what's good for us and for others. Uh, I like this quote from Pope John Paul II, who said, Every generation of Americans needs to know that freedom consists not in doing what we like, but in having the right to do what we ought. Dan Hitchens says it this way, For Christians, freedom consists not in how many choices you have, but in whether you can choose the right thing, the good thing. If Fred keeps his options open about whether to join the Ku Klux Klan and Ben has decided he will never do so, Fred is not freer. Quite the opposite. The model of a free human being then is not the person who has so much money, time, and imagination that he can do whatever just comes into his head, but someone who will choose the good, who knows just how to make a friend happy. Or who offered the chance to become wealthy through committing fraud can turn it down without a second thought. As the Catechism says, the more one does what is good, the freer one becomes. Paul has a word for this practice of not using one's right or freedom when it adversely affects someone else. That word is love. In chapter 8, verse 1, Paul says, Knowledge of one's rights or freedoms puffs the person up with pride, but love builds up others. Paul isn't pulling this ethic out of thin air. He's not creating a new thing himself. He is simply drawing on the example of his master, Jesus, who lived his life in exactly the same way. In fact, in Philippians 2, Paul says as much when he quotes an early Christian hymn. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. In short, Jesus gave up his rights. He gave up his freedom as a member of the divine community and became a human being. He became a servant for our good, for the good of all humanity. Uh, I have this theory that the greatest, most impactful, most powerful expression of freedom or power or love is self-limitation. 
self-limitation. The decision not to use freedom or power to limit oneself for the good of others. That is exactly what God does in Christ. That's exactly what Paul does in giving up his right of financial support. That's exactly what Paul asks the Corinthian Christians to do in giving up their right to eat food sacrificed to idols in good conscience. So all this raises important questions for us. What freedom or rights is God calling us to give up for the sake of the gospel, for the good of others? What freedoms or rights is God calling us to give up for the good of others within storyline? What freedom or rights is God calling us to give up with our finances for the good of others? What freedom or rights is God calling us to give up in our marriages for the good of our spouses and families? What freedom or rights is God calling us to give up as men or women for the good of the opposite sex? What freedoms or rights is God calling us to give up in a room of mostly white folks for the good of people of color? How is God inviting us to enter into Jesus' way of self-emptying love? I'm curious to hear how this is sitting with you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, yeah. I, so, this idea doesn't bother me in the context of, like, we rarely have alcohol in our territory, just in case someone struggles with alcohol. But, I'm wondering how this idea works in conjunction with oppression. And the example of this is girls from a very young age are told in the church you have to wear one pieces, you can't wear shorts. Because you're going to tempt the voice. Right. Um, and so girls are told, you have to give this up mm-hmm. to protect your brothers in Christ. Mm-hmm. However, that's, a, that's based out of oppression and power. Mm-hmm. Like the boys are not being told, also, you have, you're not an animal. Mm-hmm. You, give up your, you need to give up your right to treat women like objects. Um, and so I'm wondering, sometimes this idea can be used in church. Like, I can see it being used against people of color, saying, like, you have freedom to be angry at me but because I am holding some kind of power over you, but you need to give it up for Jesus. But then the, the person who's saying that... That's it's in their vested interest to yes. request that. Because mm-hmm. it, it, uh, um, it, it keeps uh, power dynamics intact. Exactly. Yep. Yes. So, yep. this idea is Yes. So I think you feel you feel the tension of um, of this text. I think it's significant that Paul is asking them to choose this, like to self-select it. Um, Paul is not. He doesn't seem heavy-handed um, here, and he's not. Again, he's saying, I, I'm not asking you to do something that I'm not willing to do as like an apostle or whatever. Like, I'm trying to live this out in my own life. Um, and it, do, it, does, it does cost them discomfort. I mean, but the, the truth of it is, I mean, that Philippians 2 text, I mean, Jesus, Jesus decides, chooses, subjects himself to oppression for the, for the good of others. Um, he, he chooses to be oppressed. Um, now, so that's hard. I'm, I'm not going to say that everybody that there's there's not the other side of this of boundaries. 
Um, there's not the other side of this of prophetic imagination, prophetic lament, prophetic voice to say what is wrong um, and that this shouldn't happen anymore. Um, I think there is. But I think these are two truths that we hold alongside of each other. Yeah? Um, like to have the posture of Jesus is both to, to have the heart and love to, to give up, to submit, to, um, uh, to, to shun you know, a freedom for the good of others. At, at the same time, to have the heart of Jesus is to be a prophet and to speak up. And, and maybe, maybe the Holy Spirit helps us, maybe our people help us to know um, when is when and what is what. Uh, but I, I'm struggling with that with you too. Alex? I think it goes back to our Western culture has somewhat of an individualistic lens of um, salvation and sanctification where it's very much like what am I doing, what is God doing in my life and not seeing ourselves as part of a larger body. Mm-hmm. Because when you are living as Christ lived and you're putting yourself out there, there is vulnerability that comes from that. Mm-hmm. So like when like when you enter into marriage, you're supposed to be putting your spouse before yourself. And if your spouse doesn't reciprocate, then like you're making yourself very vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Same thing with like modesty. So like men don't need to be looking at women um, in a disrespectful or lustful manner. And hopefully women will not intentionally dress in a way to provoke a man. So there needs to, there, there both need to be you know, showing a mutual love for one another. Mm-hmm. And I think like Ephesians 5 talks about a lot where there's a lot of talk about how we are all members of Christ's body. Mm-hmm. So if we're looking at ourselves through the larger lens of being a family of believers and a, and a communal, more communal aspect of communal lens, mm-hmm. I'll recognize that what I'm doing to a female or a person of color or whatever is actually harmful to myself. Mm-hmm. I look beyond my own needs. Hmm. Interesting. That's good. It, uh, as as you say that, Alex, it makes me think that uh, in this particular scenario, both Beth and Alex, um, for them not to go to the temple, for them to give up their right there, not to go to the temple to eat food sacrificed to idols, I don't imagine that's like particularly oppressive, like in an unjust sense, right? Um, and for Paul to work making tents instead of receiving financial support. You know, it, it, this particular context may be an apple and oranges kind of thing. To yeah, I think oppression complicates it. It does. Okay. It absolutely does. Because historically, we're not coming to the table in the same way. Yeah. No, with I, the same amount of power and privilege. Yeah. So, like, to say that we're having an equal yeah, it, ideally, if we're, if we're living as Christ, so if we did not consider equality, you know, like when he right. humbled himself, like if that's what's truly occurring, then there can be beauty and restoration in that. But I totally agree with you that that's not what's literally taking place today. Right. That's, what, that's, what the scripture, that's what the scripture and what the word is calling us to, but I agree that's not happening. Well, that, that Philippians 2 text calls, so Jesus is in a position of power. He is coming from divine community, and and he is the one that empties himself, right? So if anything, this is Paul. He uh, he's a moral philosopher. He has standing. 
he he uh, he has a role. He he has at least is fighting for some level of respect, and it's him that is uh, from that place of power, if you will, who's emptying himself. Um, so yeah, we should be really hesitant to use this line of thought to just point at, which is why I said, how do we as people, uh, white folks, how do, what rights do we need to give up um, for people of color rather than saying, um, what about people of color? What rights do they need to give up? I'm not in a place to say that. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm a white dude. I can't say that. Uh, I, can, I, I can worry about myself. Yeah. What other thoughts is this raising for you all? Well, I think we have to be careful that we don't... Um, there's a difference in submission and oppression. And if I'm submitting myself to somebody else and, and putting somebody else ahead of me, if we start calling that oppression, mm-hmm. um, then we become the victim and it's a whole mess. Um, so I think there's a difference in submission... Self-selected. He he uh, um, he put himself there. Yeah, yeah. That's that's a helpful distinction, McMullen. I'm thinking of another letter of Paul uh, Philemon, where there is a runaway slave, and he's writing to the the owner, the master, and he's telling him to give up his rights again out of love, in in another in, in a much more in a maybe more difficult situation than. So you have to go back to his master and reconnect. Is that what you're saying? Well, oh no, you're talking about the master. The master. That's right. The person is out. Leave him back. Yeah. As your brother in Christ. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. That's good. All right. One more, John. Me versus we. Uh, what virtual angels is the difference between me, 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 but if we control the lake, and we take care of the lake, we take care of the common good, then we don't have to each other. Yeah. Right? Because, so we, if, if you will, sort of like it's two lakes. Right? I mean, I, I, I would think it's one lake. It's lakes that are connected. <laughs> I, I hear what you're saying. I'm just not... No, no, I get text messages during the week about what's happening yeah. in the Junius Lake. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. And these people pray for each other, uh-huh. they do meal trains, you know, they're they're taking they see the weakness, they give up their time, they give up their money, they give up their energy for the lake, for the usness, yeah. the weakness. Yeah. Instead of just me, me, get get forget you. Yeah. That's a good metaphor. Yeah, and in reality that's exactly true. Um, it may be invisible to us, but I mean, we all do live around a lake. 
and when put, somebody puts some bad stuff in that, uh, we're, we're we're affected. Um, it affects all of us. So yeah, we we need to think uh, more communally in that way. Hear the good news. God in Christ gave up His divine rights for us. For our salvation, for our healing, for our good. And for those of us who receive God's gift of life, we have the great opportunity to experience that same freedom ourselves as we give up our own rights for the good of others. Because the more one does what is good, the freer one becomes. Do you believe it? Can you enter into it? Everybody who agrees says, Amen.